Well, good morning, Northside family. My name's Nate, one of the pastors. I want to welcome you today, especially if it's your first time. And we know it's Labor Day weekend. Can we welcome everybody online who might be traveling or at home today? We just want to say welcome to them. And like Sean said, uh, I love that God has brought us a new digital ministries pastor. You know, we reach uh, literally thousands of people online every weekend, and we want to minister to them and help equip them to follow Jesus. And uh, excited that you're here today as we continue in our series uh, called Blueprints for a Rebuilding Year. And I know, you know, it sounds a little bit like a playbook for the Chicago Cubs, all right? You know, we're going, you know, what is this whole series about? And what we find this series about is this. We've been looking through the book of Nehemiah. And what's incredible is it's this small little book that's tucked away. And what happens in this book is this. God uses a man to be raised up to go rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. The walls of Jerusalem at this time had been broken down for 141 years the, the, the Israelite people have been taken to captivity, and here's why. They quit letting God rebuild their lives. They said, God, we're going to trust in anything else. And here's the problem. When you and I don't trust in Jesus, it might not happen immediately, but over time, what will happen is this. Our lives begin to crumble. And what we find in this series and the story of Nehemiah is this. God is rebuilding broken people. And so you need to know today, if you feel like your life might be broken down, if you feel like maybe your marriage is broken down, maybe you don't have purpose for your life today, you need to know that the God of all creation is here to rebuild your life and my life. And he's saying this is the story of Scripture. That This week, boy, I tell you, it's not just felt like a rebuilding year. It's felt like a rebuilding week. With Hurricane Ida that's come through, with the fires that are going on out on the West Coast, this Saturday will be the 20th anniversary of 9-11. It's just a heavy week. Matter of fact, we had a number of funerals this week in our Northside family. It's just been a hard week through going through life. And sometimes we find ourselves in a place of loss and we're going, God, we, we feel maybe loss. God, maybe we need you to rebuild us in the midst of our failure. Some of you are in e-learning. The good news is God can rebuild you even through e-learning. And what we found this year at the beginning of the year is God can even rebuild IU football. Nobody thought it was possible. You know, they hadn't been ranked for 52 years. And we know yesterday didn't go well, but I got faith in Tom Allen. And that's proof God can do the impossible. If IU football is good again, that's proof that God exists. And, uh, you know, and no, this is just the reality that God says this. You may face insurmountable odds in your life, but you have a God who is willing to rebuild your life. That's why we're going through the book of Nehemiah. That's why we love the underdog story. We love it when people who are oppressed get set free and they find new life. And that is the story of Jesus. And what we found is this all through Nehemiah, obviously the fulfillment is in Christ, but what we see is God's truth all throughout his books. A couple weeks ago, we opened with this that if you and I are gonna allow God to rebuild our lives, the first thing we have to do and the first thing Nehemiah does is this, you and I have to be open to what's broken. That if you want God to rebuild the broken things of your life, you need to open them up to God. That maybe you need him to rebuild your marriage, maybe you need him to rebuild your family, maybe you need him to rebuild some things in your life. But God says this, when you open your life to me, when you're open to being broken, I begin to rebuild all that is broken. As a matter of fact, one of the things that Nehemiah did in the first chapter is this. He was open to what God was wanting to do to rebuild the broken walls of Jerusalem. And what he did is he took a number of days to pray and to fast. And the reason why Christians, and I invited the whole church family to take a 40-day fast. If you weren't here at the beginning of the week, you can jump in with us. It'll go through October 1st. And here's what you do when you fast. You go without something. 
And, uh, for me, I'm, I'm going without sweets and social media for 40 days. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, coming in this weekend, I'm like, we're halfway there. We're not even halfway there. I'm like, help me, Jesus. And, uh, but what, here's what happens when you and I fast from something, there's urges that come up and it's reminders to pray. Every time I pick up my phone and I want to check Twitter, or I want to go on there and read this article, do this. It's like, oh, nope, no, nope, no. Nope. And then here's what I do. I'm like, okay, God, this is my time to talk with you. Uh, what was incredible is one of Ruthie's, uh, my wife's best friends, texted her after that first week because they were at quarantine. They were watching online and her and her son, who's in high school, said, uh, I think God's calling me to do the 40-day fast. And she was like, really? This is awesome. I mean, you're in high school and you're wanting to fast for 40 days. That's incredible. What, what, what's God doing? And he goes, I believe God is calling me to fast from calculus for the next 40 days. <laughs> and I'm willing to commit that to the Lord. I'm, I want to give that up as a sacrifice. She's like, nah, no, no, no. You don't get a fast from calculus for 40 days. But here's what happens. No, no, no kidding. In my life group, one of my best friends, he, he goes, you know, I'm going to do that social media fast. But he goes, what I realized is this. He goes, I just find myself wasting a bunch of time on my phone. He said, for the next 40 days, I'm only going to use my phone for phone calls, text messages, and to check my email. That's it. I'm not even going to check the web for anything. And I said, good luck to you, man. Like you're, you're kind of seeing me rising. After the first week, I said, how's it going? He said, here's what I learned in the first week. He said, uh, you know, every Sunday you get that screen, you know, it tells you how long screen time is. He said, I've averaged the week before four and a half hours a day on my phone. He said, after the first week, he said, what happened is this. I dropped by 80% of use. I was only on my phone about an hour a day. And I said, what'd God do? He said, what I realized was this, when I would sit down around my family or I'd sit down around friends and we'd watch a ball game, he said, what would happen is this, the ball game would be on, my family would be right here and I would just be scrolling for nothing. And he said, what I'm finding even within a week is this, God is rebuilding the relationships around me because I'm more present, because I'm more attuned to who's around me. I, I see what God is doing more. And here's the joy of following Jesus. The joy of following Jesus is he always has more for us than we could ever have for ourselves. That God wants to lead us in. What he says is this. He says, I don't want to just give you life. He said, Jesus says this in John chapter 10, 10. He said, I've come to give you life to the full. I've come to give you life as God intended life to be. Nehemiah opens his life up to what's broken and God begins to do a rebuilding work through him. My dad preached last week and is this, God always gives us a bigger vision. And in Nehemiah chapter two, God sends him before the king of Babylonia to go and ask for supplies to go rebuild the walls. Here's the thing for you and I, as we follow Jesus, he's gonna call you and I to take steps of faith. He's gonna ask you and I to step out of our comfort zone to walk by faith. This is what we all share in this room and online together is this. Every single one of us is called to live a life of faith. This is what makes it fun to follow Jesus, that you and I are on a journey together. A journey of obedience to stepping into what God has. A journey of joy of seeing what he has for us. And my dad said this last weekend. He said, Nehemiah was willing to take the trip. He was willing to say, God, I'm going to step into what you have for me. I don't know about you, but you ever hit the wall? when you start taking steps of faith or, or maybe you try to diet and like the, the first week or so, like, like you see great results. And then the third week, like you plateau and, and what happens is you hit the wall or maybe you're working out and you hit the wall. You can't bench anymore. Like you, you just go, I don't know how to get through that anymore. And sometimes we hit the walls in relationships. We hit the wall in business. 
and we go, okay, I'm here. I don't know how to get unstuck or I don't know how to go to the next level. How do I continue to rebuild when I feel like I've hit the wall in life? And what we find in Nehemiah chapter 3 is this. He begins to point how you and I When you feel like you've hit the wall, how you and I can continue to move forward in our faith journey. Because there's going to come a point in time for every single one of us where we're going to hit the wall and we're going to feel stuck. And what we find is in Nehemiah chapter 3 is this. He gives us the way forward. Now, I'll be honest. The first time I read this passage, my eyes glossed over. And I went, I'm not sure why this is here. The book starts out, incredible adventure, incredible calling, you know, a a call on Nehemiah's life to rebuild. It's a macho story. I love it. I'm all in. And then this is how chapter three opens up. Listen to what it says. It says, Elisha, the high priest and his fellow priest went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, rebuilding as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananiah. And the men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zachur, son of Amur, built next to them. Who's ready to give their life to the Lord today? Right? Like sometimes you ever read these passages and you're like, am I supposed to understand that? And literally, I'm reading that, and I'm like, what happened to the story? And when you go through the rest of chapter three, you're like, maybe it's going to get better. Okay, those guys are going to start rebuilding. I don't even know what a sheep gate is, but I'm sure it's awesome. You know, and son of Mukhtar or whatever the names are, you know, I bet, I bet they were a godly man. And here's what you find. The more you read chapter three, it doesn't change. Now, when you're reading the Bible, two things I learned early on in Bible college. If you want to read the Bible for all it's worth, two things you and I need to do when we read the Bible for all it's worth. It's this. One, when you're reading the Bible, write down observations. What do you see when you're reading God's word? Just write it down. The second thing is this. It's observation and it's application. God, what am I seeing in your word? And Lord, how do you want me to apply that to my life? What am I seeing and what do you want me to do about it? Here's what I found when I, when I read over chapter 3 a couple of times is this. Nehemiah was actually doing something very important that we're going to talk about. It's this. In chapter 3, he lists 38 different names of people who helped rebuild the wall in Jerusalem. 38 different names. Not only that, he uses the phrase 34 times. That he says, he lists the names, the 38 names, and then he says this 34 times. And their sons helped rebuild the wall. And then he says this phrase 18 times, and next to them, these people rebuilt the wall. And 34 times in chapter 3, he uses the word either rebuild or repair, and he finishes the chapter with the word repair. Now you go, well, what's the deal about that? What's the big thing? Those are just observation. Here's the application. Is One is this. Here's what the gate in Jerusalem looked like in Jerusalem. These were the walls he went to rebuild. Some of us are going, what does that mean? I'm hearing all these names, but what does this mean? These were all the gates and all the walls that Nehemiah needed to go rebuild. And here's what's interesting. When we saw that in verse 1, what you see is this, that they rebuilt the sheep gate. Now, what in the world does the sheep gate mean? This is what this means, that the first wall and the first gate that Nehemiah and the men rebuilt was this. It was where the lambs were led in to be offered to sacrifice for the sins of the people. Meaning this, if they were going to rebuild... And if you and I are going to rebuild, God rebuilds us spiritually before he rebuilds us physically. Oftentimes in our lives, we want God to change the conditions exterior. But this is what Nehemiah knew. And this is what Jesus knows. 
that the only way we really change is from the inside out. That the only way God begins to make us more patient is that he changes us with his patience on the inside. The only way we become more loving to others is that we allow the love of God to transform us from the inside out. You know, the reason why Nehemiah took the time in chapter 3 to just list name after name of everybody else is this. Nehemiah knew this lesson is this, and this is the lesson God has for you and I today is this. When we talk about rebuilding our lives is this, nobody rebuilds alone. Man, nobody rebuilds our lives alone. If you and I want to build into all that God has for us, nobody rebuilds alone. I, I love a phrase I've heard growing up a long time. It says this, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far in life, go together. Man, go together. This is why Nehemiah called a timeout and he said, hey, timeout, before you know what God did, you need to know everybody who was a part of this. And you need to know their names and you need to know that their sons and even says that their daughters helped rebuild the wall. And it was everybody. It was perfume makers. It was all sorts of people. Everybody was a part of it. This is the joy of getting to be the church together. It's not one of us that rebuilds the church. It's all of us through Jesus. It's every single one of us stepping up to be a part of it. You know, last weekend, uh, I had the weekend off because my boys, it was their birthday. Last Saturday was my son Carter's fourth birthday. And on Tuesday, it was my son Zeke's, or four, he, was, he turned four, Carter turned six on Tuesday. And uh, what happened was this, we, we, we had a big birthday party and everything was great. And then on Sunday morning at 1130, uh, me and my family, we had a chance to come to church. And I, and I love getting to come to church on the weekends I'm not preaching because I get to talk to everybody. You know, and here's the problem is when, you know, I have to get up here and preach. And a lot of times I just want to talk to people in the hallway. When we we went in to drop off our kids. I ran in, first person I ran into was Denny Leffler. And, and Denny's been a part of Northside for over 25 years. And he was working security at Kidside, checking people's badges to make sure the proper people were coming in. And, and I love, I had a chance to chat with him. Then I turned the corner, ran into Matt Fleener, one of our great student ministry volunteers. He's actually one of our mission partners that work here in our city in Nomad, helping the hurting and the homeless chatted with him, talked to Travis Allen, one of our great health and safety team members that serves and keeps the place safe. Walked over here by the cafe, saw my neighbor, Rachel. She was working in the cafe, came in, Megan Eldridge and Jacob Bales. Hancock's lost his voice, our worship leader. They stepped up, they sing. For some reason, they didn't ask me to lead worship last weekend. I don't know why. And, you know, and, and I come in here and they're leading worship and they're doing incredible. Caroline hosted, my dad preached. And then this was the coolest part. I sat right over there in the back and this was what was so neat. I, I met this lady next to us and she said, my name's Linda Duncan. She said, I've been coming to church here since 2006. And uh, I, I said, well, tell me, you know, what, what's God doing in your life? It was awesome to meet her. She said, well, I'm the first female to oversee the American Legion in Sellersburg. She said, I I'm a veteran. I I'm the wife of a military veteran. And both of my boys served in Afghanistan. And right there, just right there, we started talking about how we can connect veterans to our reboot care ministry and how we can be a resource to her and how she can be a resource for us. And what was so cool was just the whole day, all I did was just see everybody who's helping to build the church and make the church into what God has called it to be. Matter of fact, a couple months ago, my son Zeke walked out of his class and he was pretty sad. And we're like, Zeke, everything okay? He goes, no. I said, well, what's up, buddy? He goes, Mr. Mike wasn't there. I said, oh, Mr. Mike wasn't there. Well, yeah, that's too, you know, I bet I'll be here next week. He goes, I don't know. 
And I'm like, it's all right, you're three, you'll get over it. And, uh, you know, and we get home that night and I'm like, hey, buddy, can I pray for you? Yeah, well, who, what do you want to pray for? I'm going to pray for Mr. Mike. All right, well, cool, man, we'll pray for Mr. Mike. All right, that's great. Next day, you think Mr. Mike's okay? And I'm like, how about you ask about dad? Mr. Mike doesn't pay for your school, you know, and... Uh, how about you ask about old dad? And, uh, and he's just, man, he was all tore up. And uh, what's so great is Ruthie and her friends, they'll, they'll do that Marco Polo, they'll send videos back and forth. And then this literally is three years old. He goes, can I send Mr. Mike a video? I said, dude, yeah, absolutely. Mike Avon's been here a long time, part of Northside family. And I just want to show you real quick the video that Zeke sent Mr. Mike and then the video that Mr. Mike sent back to Zeke. Check this out. Mr. Mike, I missed you. I hope you feel better so you can come to my class. Hello, Mr. Zeke. Thank you so much for that message. That made me so very happy. I'm back home and I get to come to church this Sunday. So I hope you're in my class. I can't wait to see you. And thank you again. You made me very happy. I love it, man. Can we just give a hand to all of our volunteers that invest in our kids' side ministry? And here's the thing, sometimes we think, you're, you're like, I, I, I can't make a difference in anybody's life. Man, I'm telling you, when you just spend time and you teach the ways of Jesus and you care about other people, you make a bigger impact on their life than you ever can think possible. See, this is how God created the church to be. See, this is about nobody rebuilds their life alone. We need Mr. Mike's pouring into us. This is why I love our church family, because I need a church family to pour in to my family. And I need healthy elders and leaders in the church pouring into me. And I need each other. I need my life group who's encouraging and praying for me. And I need to be praying for others. See, as this whole rebuilding thing's happening, this is happening all across the nation, it's happening all across the world, is this. People are slowly coming back to church. We're, we're averaging about 50% of people back into church, and we still have about 50% online. And I haven't talked about this too much, but I just want to clarify something real quick. Our goal here is this. It's not to get everybody back to church. And you're like, whoa, pastor, don't, uh, hey, on. Here's our goal. Our goal is to get everybody to become the church. Because here's what happens when you and I become the church, we won't just come back to church. We'll begin to invest and rebuild in those around us. See, this is God's calling for the church. Matter of fact, Sean talked about that in announcements. Our tech team has done an incredible job as we rebuild, as we raise up people to invest in the lives of the next generation. And to be hospitable people is this. We've created what's called our SurfFinder. And you can find it at mynorthside.info or you can find it at mynorthside.com slash SurfFinder. But what our tech team has done is this. We've put out all the opportunities for you to serve and you to invest and to change the lives of others. And here's the deal. It's not just here in the walls on the weekend. What we find is this. On there, we found and we've put a bunch of our local outreach places, a bunch of our mission partners that we partner with. A couple of cool things that are going on. I just, I just want to speak to it real quick. One thing is this. There, there's a number of folks here who, for the last number of years, have partnered with the ministry over in Louisville called Refuge. And, and here's the deal about Refuge. Refuge works with the, the, the refugees that are coming into Louisville. And I don't know if you know this about Louisville, but it, it is a place where there's a number of refugees are put to relocate to rebuild their lives. And here's what people from our church do for the last number of years is this. They've gone into partnering with Refuge and they teach English as a second language. 
to go and bless the people, people coming from the Congo, people coming from other places that, that don't have any family, they don't have any direction, they don't have a church family. And what always ends up happening is this, the, the people start asking, why are you investing into me? Why are you teaching me English? Why do you care about me? And this is what they get to tell them. Well, we care about you because Christ cares about you. And you may feel displaced, but your heavenly father is with you. And we as the church see you and we love you and we've come to walk alongside you. And I'm just letting you know, we've baptized a number of people who come from all sorts of countries just because people were willing to rebuild the lives of others and to say, God, I'm going to step out into what you have. And this whole season of rebuilding, this is what Nehemiah is saying, is that rebuilding, nobody rebuilds their life alone. Man, rebuilding happens when all of us step out together. What's interesting even in Nehemiah chapter 3 is this. This is, again, just an observation. He tells 38 different names of the people who helped rebuild the wall. But then he says this in verse 5. He mentions who didn't help rebuild the wall. And it's like, whoa, right? Somebody got called out. And in verse 5, listen what it says. He says, the next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. But their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. Here's just an observation. The people who wouldn't rebuild were the leaders of that area. I love this leadership quote. It said this, if serving is beneath you, leadership is beyond you. See, this is why Jesus isn't just the greatest leader of all time. He's the greatest leader of all time because he's the greatest servant of all time. He's the greatest rebuilder of all time. He's going, I may be the king of the universe. I may be the one who made all things, but there's nothing beneath me. I will come and serve everybody. And this is the contrast of verse five, where it says the nobles wouldn't repair. But down in verse 14, I love what it said is this. It says the dung gate, which in the Hebrew, guess what the dung gate means? Dung. Right? You know, it, means, it literally means trash. It means the worst part. It means everything that people were trying to get rid of the city and out of the city. It says the dungate, and then listen to this, was repaired by Malkijah, son of Rechab. And then here, who, here you go. Well, who's that? He was the ruler of the district of Beth Hakarim. And he rebuilt it and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Isn't it interesting? That in one part of the city, the nobles wouldn't rebuild. And the person who rebuilt the worst part of the city was the ruler of that part of the city. See, this is the Savior that you and I follow. This is the Savior that you and I are having rebuild our lives. It is the Savior of the world who says, I see you and I am come not just to save you, but to serve you and move you beyond where you've hit the wall, to move you beyond. See, we don't rebuild our lives together by ourselves. We rebuild together. Nobody rebuilds their life alone. One of the biggest observations I've seen over and over again in this passage is this. Not only was it Nehemiah and not only was it the 38 men that's listed here, it says that their sons rebuilt and over and over again. And it talks about the daughters rebuilding as well. But there's this big emphasis on men rebuilding. And here's something that we need to understand if we are going to rebuild the way that God's designed is this, is that men go first. Men go first. And it's not because men are better than women. I want to speak to that real clear. It's this reason. The way that God made a man, when the way he made Adam was this. 
He made Adam with an identity. You are made in my image. You know who you are. You are my son. You are called by my purpose. And here's the thing. I've given you dominion over the earth. I want you to rule and subdue it. But then here's the thing. You are responsible. You are responsible for what I've given you. Right now, we have a global man problem. We don't know what it means to be a man. Nobody can tell us what it means to be a man. And here's why. We don't know the man. And when we know Jesus, we know what it is to be a man. And we know what it is to walk. That's why I'm so fired up about next weekend. I can't wait for our men's challenge weekend where we're going to have a time just to pour into the men and the life of our church. And uh, you want me to share the verse that we're going to share with you? Good, because I'm going to. And uh, I'm so fired up. <laughs> You're like, I didn't answer. I know, it's rhetorical. And uh, this is why I'm so fired up because Paul in 1 Corinthians reminds the men about their calling. Again, not that men are better than women, but there is a difference between a men and women. And here's the thing. Society falls apart when men become passive or when they power up and they become abusive. And what we're called to be are present men like Jesus was present. He is the God-man. And listen to what 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 through 14 says. Paul calls the church back. He says, men, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. And be strong. And do everything in love. I'm fired up for next weekend, man. I, I can't wait for men's challenge. Because here's the thing. God is rebuilding all of society, all of it through Jesus Christ, and we get to be a part of it. But here's the thing. When it talked about all the different gates that God called Nehemiah to rebuild and all the different people to be a part of it, here's what's fascinating is this. You go, well, why'd they rebuild there? And why did they rebuild there? And why'd they get to do this? It's this very reason. Because rebuilding begins in our homes. When you read through Nehemiah chapter 3 and you go, oh, the valley gate was repaired by Hanan. Oh, this gate was repaired by him. Who got assigned to that? They rebuilt where they lived. See, God is longing to work through his church, you and I, to rebuild and to redeem the broken things around us right where we live. In our homes, in our neighborhoods, in Salem. And in Scottsburg, in Otisco, and in Jeffersonville, and in Sellersburg, and in New Albany, in Greenville, and across the river, and online, in all sorts of different places, God is saying, I've called you, church, to rebuild right where you are. Had an incredible conversation uh, right after the service with, with the man. He's, a, he's an assistant football coach in the area, varsity uh, high school assistant. And he came up and he said, Nate, this resonates so much. He said, I've got so many players on my team that have no fathers in their life. And he said, it's so incredible that you, he goes, you're just affirming my calling, that you're calling me to be a spiritual father in their life. And I said, that is absolutely what God's calling you to do. That you are absolutely rebuilding the lives of these men and their families right on the football field. See, God wants to rebuild the broken things right where you live. This is what's happening in Nehemiah chapter 3. Nobody rebuilds alone, but it takes all of us stepping up. Deuteronomy chapter 6. They said this to the families. They said, here's what it is. Here's your family calling is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, 
mind and strength. And then it says to parents, and parents, when you lie down, talk to your kids about this. And when you wake up, talk to your kids about this. And when you go down the road, talk to your kids about this. Talk about it. One of the things I love that Andy Clark has done in our life group team is this. When you go to mynorthside.com blueprint, what you find is this. They have prepared questions for you as a family to go over, not just about the sermon, but to ask each other to create spiritual conversations in your home. To begin to cultivate in our homes the rebuilding work of God. One of the coolest uh, scholarship forms I filled out for one of our Northside members that graduated high school last summer was this. Uh, she came up, she said, hey, would you be a reference for me? And I said, sure, what am I referencing you for, <laughs> you know, before I fill it out? And she said, oh, she said, it's for a scholarship for my career. She said, I'm going to college. I said, what are you going to college to do? She goes, I'm going to learn how to be a special needs teacher. I said, well, that's awesome, man. I'd love to fill out that, you know, a reference form for you for a scholarship. And then I asked her, I said, how did this come about? That, that's incredible that at 18, you know you want to do that. How'd you do that? Well, she said a couple of years ago, she said, somebody asked me to start volunteering in his kids, our special needs ministry here on the weekend. She said, I already had a heart and calling for compassion. I just didn't know where. But she said, in the church, when somebody invited me to do this, she said, I started seeing this is what my calling was. And she said, now because of what I've experienced as a church, this is what I want to go do with my life. See, the, the apostle Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. You don't have to be married. You don't have to have kids to start rebuilding in your home. Listen to what he says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. Paul says this. He says that his intent, God's intent, was that now through the church, through you and I, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms, which means this, that now through the church, God is revealing and rebuilding the world through Jesus, through his church, through his church. Here's what God knows. None of us rebuild our life alone. None of us have what it takes to pick ourselves up, to change ourselves, and to begin to take the next step forward. Incredible thing is at first when I read Nehemiah chapter 3, I went, God, I don't know what to do with this chapter. And the more I started sitting with it, the more I started reading, I went, wow, God, I can't wait to preach this chapter. And then here's what I realized Nehemiah was doing at the end of chapter three is this, when he listed all the names and he listed all these things is this, is that Nehemiah was making time for God to work on his life, not just in his life. See, one of the things for you and I, when we hit the wall in life, whether it's spiritually or whether we just kind of hit the wall physically in life and our relationships is this. God's saying those are the moments for me, not just to work in your life, but to work on your life. If you're in the business world, a lot of times that's what your planning times are for is you step back and you go, okay, I'm not just going to work in the business. I got to step back and I've got to work on the business. Part of the reason why families struggle is this. We're living day to day and we're just running and gunning and all this other stuff. And what we need to do is take a time out and go, God, we need you to work on our family, not just in our family. God, I need you to work on my marriage, not just in my marriage. God, I need you to work on my parenting, not just in my parenting. And what you find is this. You find a God who is faithful 
to rebuilding. See, he didn't just rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. He was rebuilding his people. Through Jesus, he didn't just come to rebuild the temple. He came to rebuild our lives through his grace and his mercy. I don't know about you, but funerals mess me up. Man, I, I, I know I need to be a part of them as pastors, but man, I tell you, for the rest of the day, it just kind of puts me in a funk. And it, it, it's that like bad funk, same time, it's a good funk, if there can be such a thing. And here's what happens at funerals, man. It slows me down and I'm a joyful guy. I'm a, let's just be happy, man. And at funerals, you have to think about life and death, don't you? And this week when I was sitting there at the funeral of Margaret Wilkerson, just a, a hero of the faith here in the life of the Northside family, what we found was this, in her funeral, I was taking time to reflect on my life and going, God, there's some things you wanna rebuild in me. And I need to allow you room, not just to work in my life, but to work on my life. And uh, Drew Humphreys, her grandson shared this story. I had never heard it before, but it was a story about Billy Graham and his wife, Ruth Graham. They were driving one day and they were going through construction and they were stuck at like that standstill construction. And they said, after a little while, Billy was getting pretty frustrated. Like, let's go, man, I'm as tired of sitting here. And finally, at the end of the construction zone, after an hour, they began to move. And right when they're about ready to leave the construction zone, Ruth Graham said this. She goes, there it is. He's like, what are you talking about? She said, that's it. He's like, what are you talking about, woman? She said, that's what I want on my tombstone. And he's like, what do you want on your tombstone? And at the end of the construction zone, there was a sign that read this. And it literally is on her tombstone. End of construction. Thank you for your patience. <laughs> and I went, what a great phrase. Because two things are true about that. One, your life and my life until our last breath is a life under construction. Being rebuilt by the power of the Holy Spirit to be conformed into the image of our Savior, Jesus. You and I, for the rest of our days, till our last breath, are under construction. And then here's the good news. When we take our last breath, it's not the end. It's just the beginning. Because we get to live in eternity as made new with our Heavenly Father and with our Savior, Jesus. End of construction. Thank you for your patience. What I wanna to do today is I wanna take communion, but I wanna do communion a little bit different. If you, if you grab your bread and your juice, I'm gonna invite you to get it out right now. We invite people who are followers of Jesus to be a part of this. And this is what I want us to do today is one, we're gonna take communion together. Here in a moment, I'm gonna invite you just to tell your heavenly father to talk to him, but here's what I want us to do. After we do that, I wanna invite us to take the bread together. Because here's the thing, nobody rebuilds alone. When we take communion, what we're declaring is, no, God, we are under construction. I can't rebuild my life, but God, you can. And God, you're not just rebuilding me. God, you're rebuilding us as your church. God, you're rebuilding your world. And then what we'll do is we'll take the bread together and then we'll take the juice together. But here's what I want to invite you to do right now before we do that together is simply this. Two things. I want you to talk to your heavenly father and I want you to do this. One, what do you need to thank him for that he's rebuilding in your life? 
Maybe it's just that you're not alone in the midst of this season of life to say, Jesus, thank you for coming to save me and be with me. What are you thankful for that he's rebuilding? And the second thing is this, what do you need him to rebuild in your life? What are you thankful for? What do you need him to rebuild? See, that's what the cross does. It creates gratitude in the midst of construction. It begins to rebuild against all the odds and transforms us from the inside out. And so right now, I just want to invite you to do that, to say, God, thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for rebuilding this. But God, here's where I need you to rebuild me today. And so take that moment right now, and then we'll take the bread and the juice together. But let's thank our Father right now. Right now, I want to invite you to take the bread that represents the body that was broken for him to rebuild us through the cross. Let's take the bread together right now. And let's take the juice to remember the blood that was poured out to cover our sins through the cross. Let's take the juice together right now. Father, we thank you. We thank you for being committed to do a rebuilding work in our lives. And right now, Jesus, I just ask God with grateful hearts, but also hearts that are aware that there is more to be redeemed in our hearts and our lives. That Father, as your church, as your people, we pray that you would have your way. That Jesus, you would rebuild the broken things in us. That Father, we would allow you to do a good and holy work in us. And Father, would you give us the courage to step out in faith to be people who help rebuild the broken things in our lives. Jesus, thank you for having the plan of the church being yours and the church as being a people who are sent into the world. Father, would you help us by the power of your spirit to be found faithful this week to you and your calling on our lives. And we pray all of this in your name, Jesus. And all God's people said together, Amen. May we go and rebuild this week, everybody. God bless you. See you next weekend.